And away we go. Welcome into The Dish, a fantasy baseball strategy podcast. I'm your host, Dan Strafford. Stepping up to the dish today, you see what I did there with that, is none other than Steve Gardner, senior fantasy editor, baseball writer, and reporter at USA Today Sports. Also the commissioner of labor or league of alternate baseball reality, probably the best league name out there, uh, an industry league. Uh, many, many of the people you follow, if you're listening to this, uh, play in that league and compete each and every year. Find him on Twitter, at Steve A. Gardner. Steve, welcome to the show, and thanks so much for taking the time to chat here today. Hey, thank you, Dan. Pleasure to uh, to talk again. It's been a it, while. It has been a while. Um, I've been out of the game uh, for a little bit doing the podcasting side of things. Um, I wonder, though, sort of the elephant in the room that we're all dealing with as we get ready for Fantasy Baseball 2022 is the lockout and, and where we stand. You are both a fantasy analyst and a baseball reporter. I'm not expecting you to break any news here today uh, for us, but I'm wondering what's your your look lookout uh, on the lockout right now. What do you see on the horizon, and what what's your best guess? Well, obviously things can change whenever there are talks. I mean, we could have a breakthrough. I kind of doubt that we will have anything you know major happen for a while. Um, and really, Dan, I, I think spring training is in jeopardy, um, not just the start of spring training, but perhaps all of spring training, perhaps into the regular season. I mean, there are a lot of people that think that, uh, you know, there's a deadline out there and both the players and the owners, they can't afford to miss any games. I think that the relationship between the two sides is is so poisoned right now that it's almost at least in my mind, almost inevitable that we're going to have this thing pushed into at least the start of spring training and possibly the regular season just because the gap is so wide and nobody really seems, especially on the owner's side, to want to talk about the substantive issues that we need to talk about to get a deal done. So I'm I'm probably more pessimistic right now than, um, than most people are just because I see so much acrimony between these two sides, and they seem to be talking past each other instead of talking with each other. Yeah, a lot of laundering in the media right now and a lot of leaks here and there. And there's no better way to grow your game than canceling spring training where people actually have access to players and can, right. can get close. But we'll see what happens there. How, how are you approaching it from a fantasy perspective? Uh, or is, is the labor draft pushed back? Is, what, what are you doing there from an approach? At this particular moment, we are proceeding on schedule and hope like heck that that something crazy happens uh, in a good way. I mean, we did this in 2020 when we had, you know, COVID just first starting to crest and we had labor drafts, you know, in person at, you know, at first pitch Florida that Baseball HQ put on and, you know, the few days after that, that's when Rudy Gobert uh, tested positive and all heck broke loose yes. and, and shut down. Um, and we didn't have baseball for right. several months. Um, so I think even if the season is delayed, we need to have we need to have labor ready to go. And we're making plans to uh, be optimistic and hope that we're right. Yeah, it's uh, I always my phrase I use a lot with my family is you hope for the best, but prepare for the worst. So, exactly. so you, you find the right angle there. Um, absolutely. It makes a ton of sense. And I think, uh, you know, tout is going to take the same approach. And for folks who don't know, or are not acclimated, these are industry leagues. Some would call them expert leagues. I despise that word when talking about fantasy sports. Uh, but, uh, it's analyst leagues, people who are in the industry 
creating content, playing against one another in different formats. And, and that segues into the next question. Taking a step back, what's your favorite format, Steve? When you're playing fantasy baseball, what's your go-to? My favorite is the keeper leagues, the dynasty leagues, really because there's not anything comparable to when you go and look at prospects and look at the young players and you kind of develop favorites and you see the guys that you like and to have them develop, become Major League Baseball players, possibly even MLB stars, and you have them on your team for, you know, all of the, you know, maybe their whole careers in yep. some, you know, the dynasty leagues. Uh, I, I think that to me is fun, you know, and and that sort of format where you can build and and you're always working. There's really no off season because you know that you've got a team, you've got players, and you try and keep building and get better. That to me, I think is is the ultimate. Um, but then again, you know, you if you're you're you can rebuild. You can go for it. You can cash in those prospect chips. Yep. There's so many different ways to play it as well. Um, that, to me, is, is, is my favorite way to play in the, the, the leagues that I get the most enjoyment out of. That's great. And, yeah, I think you, Dynasty is such a beast unto itself of when to go for it and when to make those decisions on, I, you know, I always play to win each year. But sometimes around mm -hmm. May, you start making those decisions about what you got. What, what scoring format? Do you go 5x5 five five Roto? Like, what's your, your main go-to? Yeah, for the most part, I, I think that's what I've invested myself most in is the 5x5 five five Roto because that's what, that's what labor is. Um, I think that's what the majority of people out there that play fantasy baseball do play, um, at least from my experience. Right. And uh, although I do play in head-to-head -head leagues as well, which are also fun, but um, I, I, I prefer that. You know, I put so much work into it that you throw some curveballs, you throw a 6x6, six six, or uh, you, know, you throw something else in uh, with the pitching categories or the hitting categories, and, and I can adjust, but um, they're, they're certainly not in my wheelhouse. From early talking strategy of 2022 now, each year we see a change, right? You can make the comparisons to fantasy football with zero RB versus late round quarterback and all that. We've seen a push on elite pitching, right? The DeGroms, the Scherzers, the guys who you can project to be elite injuries aside. We're seeing this year, at least according to ADPs and according to Twitter discussions that uh, we read, that elite closers are being pushed up that much more this year. I'm of the mind that that can get very dangerous very quickly. Um, but so can elite pitching. So can, you know, chasing home runs. It all can get dangerous. But from what you're seeing or what your approach typically is in Roto, how do you build the saves category? How do you attack that year in year out as, as your approach well it has changed over the years because you know maybe a decade ago you go into spring training or the beginning of the regular season and you pretty much know maybe two-thirds of the teams who the closers right. are going to be sometimes it's more and you'd go into drafts especially you know mixed league drafts and say okay well i need two closers but maybe i'll get a third two just to be on the safe side and you just can't do that anymore. And and I think the market is correct in its adjustments to where, you know, if you have a, a Josh Hader or a Liam Hendricks, you can say, all right, I got saves, at least a good chunk of saves locked down, and I don't have to worry about it for the rest of the season. And I think that's kind of a change from what the, the uh, overriding philosophy has been, you know, maybe 10 years ago, because 
there are always saves available on the waiver wire. The problem now is, is that they're so spread out. I mean, you may lock on to a closer in midseason or something um, before. You're not going to necessarily do that now. And you can't pick up a full-time closer on the waiver wire and be certain about it. It's going to take you two and three and four and five chances sometimes. And, and teams spread those saves out because I think more managers and more front offices are being smart about what exactly is the value of a closer. Right. You, need, you need guys that are good in high leverage situations. And a lot of teams are running their bullpens that way to where the best pitcher in the bullpen may not be the guy that gets the last three outs. Right. You're in the sixth inning, two outs, and you need a big out. You go to maybe not a hater at this point, but someone of that that build. It reminds you of also the two or two and two-thirds saves that are coming back. Some of these guys going longer, uh, you know, paying uh, some respect to Goose Gossage and what the original mm -hmm. closers were doing uh, back so many years ago. It's an interesting market, and it's one to definitely track. And I think you made the right connection for me of the waiver wire and I don't know that everyone in strategy and I'm, I'm going to divert from the questions I sent you originally here Steve on this how important is it to draft with fab in mind how important is it to draft and build a roster and then put in the work uh, over the six months of a season to to supplement your roster very much so I, I think it's it's more than 50 percent I think in-season management of your roster is more than 50 percent of uh, your ultimate success because yes, you get a uh, you have a good draft. It sets you up really, really well. But you still have to manage. And there are so many stories of people who have had busts in the first round right. or first, second, fifth round. Uh, guys that just they got nothing from, but they were able to go to the waiver wire and find guys you know that could contribute. You know the the Akil Badus of last year, 100%. the Cedric Mullinses. Guys like that to to fill those voids and um, and and the same thing with with closers. Um, you you try and find those guys, but it's a lot harder. And uh, and I think in season management, going through the waiver wire and knowing that you have a finite amount of money, you know, to pick up free agents, that has to play into your uh, into your thought process because you can't go spend. You know, ten dollars here on a closer that you think is going to close, and then ten dollars two weeks later. Right. You know, if the guy fizzles out, and and I think that's something that people are now recognizing um, that you just can't keep fishing and spending bad money uh, every so every so often and not get results from it. And uh, it's much easier to just go ahead and pay for that. You know, one big closer, one certain closer on draft day. It's uh, I've admitted many times over fab is the biggest hole in my fantasy game. And uh, Vlad uh, Sedler, who is over at uh, FTN, I forget what that stands for, uh, but uh, FTN will be on hopefully this podcast later on. And I know he's one of the masters out there at really deciding fab. And so we'll talk to him about strategy specifically around that heading into the year. Now, I know this will be frowned upon. I know I will be blasted for this, but you brought it up. You said teams are spreading out saves. Is there any world where a fantasy... And listen, there are hundreds of fantasy formats. Like, you can make up whatever format you want. But do you see a team save, a team bullpen as a solution or a potential way to to offset how crazy saves have become in fantasy baseball? It's possible. I won't rule it out. Um, uh, I appreciate I, that. <laughs> there you go. Uh, but... 
I think we like to be able to speculate, you know, right. I, I, and I think that you like to have situations where you can hit on somebody for a two or three dollar fab bid and have that guy be the closer for the rest of the season. Um, I think it what we want to do, at least in, in leagues that I play in and the people that I play with, is we want to have our call it skill or whatever, but our ability to analyze players and figure out who is going to be valuable and act before the rest of the league does yep. to get those guys and figuring out who the next closer is or the closer in waiting or figuring out a strategy if a team is going to have an A closer and a B closer and figuring that out, I think there's a degree of satisfaction for that that you would lose if you just drafted a, a you know a team bullpen, yeah, I think uh, your your point there is well heard. I, this isn't something I'm advocating; just something I've thought about in the past. Um, yeah. Feel free to yell at me on Twitter if you so choose. <laughs> but um, I think it's just an interesting way to think about it. But to your point, it it lessens the skill, of course, right? Once you broaden the scope of a draft position. You're, you're lessening the skill of the in-season decisions. I, I was big last year. I put some money into Devin Williams in Milwaukee, hoping Milwaukee would go to Hayter in those higher leverage situations, and Williams struggled at the start of the year. But um, that is a very intriguing. We'll talk closers with some other folks across the way. Uh, when you play Roto 5x5, you're playing five outfielders typically, right? Yep. Okay, so that is going to play into some of these uh, questions I'm about to ask Steve. I'm a fan of head-to-head -head points leagues. I'm a fan of head-to-head -head in general in fantasy sports. We're going to play a little player head-to-head -head here, uh, 1v1, based off Fantasy Pros ADP right now. So if you're listening sometime in March, understand things probably have changed drastically. Uh, this is being recorded in uh, January 20, what are we, 5th, 24th. Uh, so know that this is what we're dealing off of. But are you ready for some head-to-head, -head, Steve? Sure, let's do it. Uh, you mentioned him by name before. Cedric Mullins has rocketed up ADP compared to last year. Starling Marte or Cedric Mullins? Who are you taking? I am taking Starling Marte, I think. You know, it's, it's one of those where Mullins just came out of nowhere last year. And I'm not... 100% sold on the fact that his power or the batting average repeats. We know what we have in Starling Marte, and it's somebody that does get on base an awful lot. Had a 381 on base percentage last year. I mean, that's, that's fabulous, and he's going to be in probably a better lineup, shall right. we say, in New York than, than Cedric Mullins is in Baltimore. Um, similar types of players, yes, but Marte had you know more stolen bases, which is not necessarily a, a huge advantage in points leagues as it is in Roto. But I still have a little bit of skepticism, and I'm, I'm wearing my, my Baltimore Orioles T-shirt, by the way. So uh, it's, it pains me to say that um, because the Orioles have been my team for a long time, and uh, I would love to see Cedric Mullins have another season just like last year. But I think the chances are that he repeats what he did uh, are, are slim, whereas Starling Marte, we've seen a, a very lengthy track record that he can do what he can do. People much smarter than me are already doing the analysis, but don't forget Orioles are changing their stadium too. It, it's just it's one of those things that's an unknown for us right now. You can project and you can sort of take, well, these X home runs wouldn't have been, they would have been doubles or triples, which all count for points, obviously, or, or count for batting average, but something to weigh as well. <laughs> When it all comes together. That's I will just real quick. That's an interesting thing because, you know, it's left field, which is getting the, you know, move yep. back 30 feet. 
Mullins gave up switch hitting last year yep. and had all that success, so he's exclusively left-handed. But I think that kind of benefits him a little bit because yep. it makes the space to the opposite field you know, a lot more Gigantic. for somebody with his speed. I mean, we could see Cedric Mullins, especially as you're talking points leagues here, where you get better, you know, more points for doubles and triples. Um, those triples and doubles numbers could go up. So yep. it's, I think that's going to be one of the most fascinating things in terms of uh, the unknowns for the 2022 season is what does that do to the park in Baltimore? And not, I, I'm a big, you know, defense turns into offense in baseball. You're playing good defense. I, it's a mind game. I know you can't project that, but does Mullins play left field? Like, does Mullins move to left field to cover that weird corner and the space? And does that play a different way? It's, there are lots of, you know, yeah. very subjective opinions that can come from that. Yeah, I, I don't think so just because he helps out the guys in right field yep. and left field uh, playing in center. So uh, the Orioles... Not, I mean, terribly great otherwise defensively right. out there. God. All right, first pitching matchup, Sandy Alcantara versus Lucas Giolito. I'll take Giolito. Um, a higher strikeout percentage, uh, better team, better bullpen, I think will lead to more success. Um, and here's another thing, too. We also, at the time we are talking right now, don't know about what the new CBA is going to look like. You know, yep. we think that there's going to be a designated hitter in the National League, but if you're looking at numbers from last year and trying to compare these two guys, you know, what happens if Alcantara faces a DH instead of the opposing pitcher um, in Huge. the majority of his games? Uh, does that make him a less valuable pitcher? Uh, I, I think Giolito is... At this point, the more established and better overall, but um, you could certainly make a case for Alcantara, too. All right, we go next to uh, Kyle from Waltham. I live in Waltham. So during their run last year, uh, Kyle Schwarber uh, became, I think because of a, a Barstool podcast at first, but then became known as Kyle from Waltham, ended up sending pizzas to the fire departments and the police department here in town uh, and was very well-loved, but still a free agent. Uh, on the market right now, Kyle Schwarber versus Austin Meadows. I'll tell you, right now, without Kyle Schwarber knowing where he's going to land, I would take Meadows. Yep. However, uh, and, and the reason, too, I'll, I'll just I'll throw this in, is that the Rays platoon an awful lot. And Meadows had some real troubles against left-handed pitching last year. So he ended up being, although a very productive one, you know, essentially a semi-part-time player. Yep. Um, and so I would worry about that from a points perspective, uh, especially if Schwarber is going to an American League team. But anyway, if we get the DH in the NL, it doesn't really matter. I mean, that's his position. He's a DH. So... It's tough to say right now. I, I think with if we knew where Schwarber was going to be and in a good offensive environment like he was in Boston where he was fabulous. You know, he was great in Washington too. Yep. You know, I got to see him play almost on an everyday basis, especially when he's hitting, you know, home runs out of the leadoff spot seemingly every day. Um I'm going to come back and, and maybe contradict myself here. But as long as <laughs> as long as Schwarber has a full-time job, um I think he's a better player, and I'm prepared to move him up in my rankings. Yeah, and that and that makes total sense. It's what we uh, we don't know what we don't know when it comes to a park for Schwarber, but uh, I, I agree with you on that one. Zach Gallen, Nathan Eovaldi. Eovaldi's one of those names who just he just keeps rising from the dead. It seems in fantasy sports, but Gallen versus Eovaldi. Yeah, uh, you couldn't have gotten a closer one for me. I was looking at my rankings. I've got 
Ivaldi as my starting pitcher, number 41, and Gallon is 42. Look at so that. It's, it's amazingly close. I, I think Gallon has a higher upside, mm-hmm. but whether he can realize that, you know, with the Diamondbacks, um, I, I, I think there are a lot of things holding him back there. And so that's why I would kind of lean toward Ivaldi just for, you know, that small infinitesimal uh, difference between the two. But they are, again, they are so very, very close in my mind. I can uh, toss ups are fine. You know, t- we we can say that they're toss ups. They're ADP close to each other for a reason, right? You the market is setting uh, them to be close to each other. You have them ranked similarly. Uh, I am po- probably leaning Gallon because of personal bias. Even mm-hmm. like, and I'll admit that like Evaldi is just one of those names I struggle to see producing the way he did uh, in, in a consistent manner. I do agree with you though. The 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 team scares me a little bit more. Uh, with Zach Gallen. Moving on to our next, I, I gave you a bunch of pitchers here, Steve. Uh, this one, I don't know what to think, to be honest. Mike Clevenger versus Michael Kopish, whose name I always mispronounce. So if I did there, I apologize. But Clevenger is just a giant question mark. Kopish is a pedigree, you know, high draft pick. Where where do you land here? Uh, this, this was a fun one, actually, to think about. Because, as you said, there were so many unknowns with these guys. Clevenger had Tommy John surgery in November of 2020. So you get to that 15-month period, yep. you know, spring training. He should be pretty much good to go. Of course, you're not going to give him the full, you know, starter 180 to 200 inning treatment coming off of Tommy John surgery. I'm sure they'll manage his innings. But you're talking about Michael Kopech, too. He's a guy that was a reliever all of last year, only 69 innings pitched all of last year. So, you know, will they kind of back off, not throw him too much? I mean, does he have a a starting rotation spot? I think that's the real question with the White Sox because they have, you know, Dallas Keuchel, they've got Giolito, they've got Dylan Cease. I mean, that's a pretty solid, you know, Ronaldo Lopez, does he start? Uh, And if he doesn't, can he be a reliever? You know, where we know Kopech has been a successful reliever. It, there are so many questions about the role. I think that if if Clevenger is, is healthy, then he's going to get the innings. And when you're talking about points leagues, again, it's volume. And 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 Clevenger still, I think, a very good pitcher still. Um, and even coming off the surgery, I think there's a good chance he can c- succeed again. I think the Padres are going to be pretty good again. Um, and just because we don't know what role Kopech is in, I think Clevenger is the pick for me. Yep. Uh, I Clevenger could be one of, the, uh, I don't want to say steal, but one of those guys at this ADP right now could really Absolutely. turn a profit for people or, you know, crash and burn. Obviously, that's the other side of the, the coin of injury <laughs> or, or not being ready. Do you subscribe to the quote-unquote Verducci rule of innings pitched? and and Or is that just something you sort of keep as a peripheral thing? I, I don't know that I necessarily put a whole lot of stock into it, but I do know that... Major league teams, yes, on right. the whole, do, and they Great try point. and man, you know, they try and manage those pitchers that don't have a whole lot of innings the following season. So, you know, it's it's one of those things where, you know, maybe I wouldn't run my pitching staff this way, but certain teams certainly will. And so, yep. from a fantasy aspect, you've got to look at 
what the teams are going to be doing. Uh, you know, just like we know who we would have closing games uh, or pitching the eighth inning or whatever. And uh, a lot of times teams don't necessarily see it that way. Steve, I don't know. Teams haven't called me to be a pitching coach. I have all it, these great ideas. And yet I know. Um, I, I'm, I I'm ready to be a bench coach myself <laughs> exactly. and, and let them, you know, don't bunt. I can tell them that, you know, exactly. I can, that's, I can that's sit my there signal. in the dugout and do that. Every time. That's it. Just don't bunt. Just don't bunt. Uh, so for <laughs> those who don't know, the Verducci rule is from years ago. Tom Verducci wrote a bunch of articles, one main one on innings pitched year over year and the gap between and then injuries happening after. It's been debunked largely just on sample size, but it is something that still sticks to Steve's point in where you don't want to jump from 60 innings pitched to 160 innings, uh, innings pitched. That's how you get injured, but you forget about warm-up tosses and, and simulations and all of those things in between. Two more to go, and then we'll wrap up. Kyle Hendricks or Steven Matz? I love Steven Matz landing with the Cardinals. Yep. Um, and uh, I think he still you know, maybe has not reached his full potential, whereas Kyle Hendricks is on the downside of, of his career there in Chicago. It's been a very nice one. But just Matz, you know, a ground ball type pitcher, and the Cardinals with one of the best defenses maybe in Major League history last season with five gold glovers, um, especially, you know, Arenado. You've got Tommy Edmond at second. You've got Goldschmidt. That's a that's an elite defense right there, plus the guys in the outfield that can go get it in Bader and Tyler O'Neill. So, Matt's let them put the ball in play. If you're Steven Matz, what do you have to lose? Chances are they're going to hit it at somebody who's got a pretty good glove. Um, I think that's a fantastic landing spot for him. And so, yeah, I'm of all of these that you've, you know, that we've talked about. I think this is probably the biggest difference between the two that we have so far. I will say um, I was surprised by Matt's Matt's uh, ADP uh, when I was, Go, sort of scrolling through, he caught me by surprise in that he had a very solid 2021, a very yep. solid one. And no, he is not a huge, he reminds me of Jimmy Key. Like he's not a huge strikeout pitcher, but he keeps the ball in play. Uh, good defense behind him here. Really cut down on the home runs last year. And now that comes, you know, ground ball pitcher versus fly ball hitters. You're going to see some fly out from time to time, but I like Matt's a lot at, at that value. The last one is someone I think many Fantasy owners have been waiting for. Um, I don't know if it'll ever happen, but uh, maybe it will. Uh, Adam Frazier, not who I'm talking about, or Garrett Hampson. Uh, what do you say here at the lower end of ADP in the top 300? Second baseman have platoon eligibility in other spots as well. Uh, who are you taking between these two? Yeah, I did not have an automatic reaction to this one. Uh, I had to go down a ways in my rankings. Scrolling. Yeah, but and, oh, there they are. Um, both uh, way down from last year. I think we we were excited yes. about both of their possibilities last year. Um, Frazier had a decent year, um, but it's you know it's just pretty much the on base skills I think are are his calling card. Whereas Hampson, it seems like the Rockies are just so invested in not giving him opportunities or not playing him on a regular basis or finding somebody else to play in front of him. Um, I just don't trust the Rockies' personnel decisions, to tell you the truth. So Frazier looks like he's going to have the second-base job right. um, uh, from day one. So for that reason, I would say Adam Frazier's the guy. Yeah, at some point it just becomes about at-bats, right? Mm -hmm. It just becomes about volume, and, and you can't project Hampson get like. We've all been there. We've all done the research on his minor leagues, on his on his uh, you know amateur career, and said right. this the guy has The speed is there. Yeah. yeah, and you just don't see it translate. Turn him loose. The Rockies have struggled uh, definitely with prospects at times uh, in, in their 
process and just with overall management of, of their team. But uh, that does bring us to the end of our head-to-heads and to the end of our time together today, Steve, on The Dish. Where can everyone find your work? Not that I'm surprising anyone with you, but where, where can people find your work? Where can they find you on Twitter? Sure. Uh, you can go to uh, USA Today Sports uh, and the fantasy section, fantasy.usatoday.com. Um, a lot of football that's on there right now, but uh, as you know, we're transitioning into baseball season and we're going to have a whole lot more uh, baseball stuff there. You can find me on Twitter too. I'm at Steve A. Gardner and uh, looking forward to that. Also on newsstands too, you know, print, Dan, How about is still that? out there. And uh, USA Today Sports Weekly is going to have. A, um, uh, our annual fantasy baseball preview on newsstands at the end of February, uh, just in time for what we hope is a nice full spring training. Steve Gardner, one of the nicest people you will meet in uh, sports or fantasy media. Steve was one of the first to welcome me into the fantasy community when I first joined up, back doing Mark Healy's Going Nine show, which seems like a lifetime ago. Steve, I appreciate am. you. Uh, keep doing what you're doing. And uh, anyone who's listening, thanks so much for listening, and uh, happy drafting as you go forward.